Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thanks for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on today's program, we're going to go over the latest ag economy barometer out for the month of January with the Purdue University and the CME Group. Dr. Jim Minturk from the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University. Going to join us in segment two as we go through those numbers and take a look at farmer sentiment. In segment three, we're going to recap the year-end export numbers for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan Hallstrom with USMEF is going to join us. And at the end of the show, we're going to continue the conversation surrounding dicamba and the latest court ruling that affects the use of dicamba here for the 2024 growing season. Dr. Chad Brewer, VP of Technical Services with the National Cotton Council, is going to join us to uh, provide perspective from the cotton industry on how that uh, Arizona court ruling on dicamba could affect cotton growers here in 2024. So we're going to get to that conversation coming up here at the end of the program today. Kicking things off, though, let's take a look at what's going on or Really, what's not moving in the markets here early this week? Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk joins us on AOA. Garrett, uh, you know, kind of a snooze fest in these markets between Monday and uh, Tuesday's action. Just not a lot of fresh news to really drive things on the grain side, is there, Garrett? There really hasn't. Uh, the technical selling maybe has dried up a little bit, and the fact that it has slowed down might be a good sign. You know, we're at least we're not going down anymore. Um, you know, perhaps we're at a level where we can consolidate and kind of see where we're at as far as what kind of demand that we can drive up here. Um, you know, the funds are have are, are heavily invested to the short side. Um, you know, the managed money in corn is a, a percent of open interest. Is there's only been two other years where it's been this this big and, and it's 2019 during the trade war and 2020 during covid so um you know their their position short their belief is uh the u.s farmers undersold the the brazilian farmers undersold and, and when they do have to cover for whatever reason they will see farmer selling uh help temper those gains but um you know it's, that is perspective as far as you know downside from here as far as flat price is concerned. You know, you saw reports last week about uh, an uptick in, in Brazilian uh, bankruptcies, and, and we know that they're they're losing money on this crop. It's, a, it's an interesting proposition to be this short uh, at a level where, you know, expecting the Brazilian farmer to, to sell their crop at a potential loss. So um, that being said, I'm not that's the only bullish thing out here is, is market position because the fundamentals still remain uh, pretty bearish. The South American crop is still um, uh, looks like it's going to be adequate, if not bigger. And, and the market right now is is doing a job. I mean, we're we can't really rally during the month of of February, or else we're going to keep those crop insurance spring guarantees relatively high. And, and you know, they're still planting safrina corn, so we don't necessarily need a a big rally in corn right now to you know encourage those farmers down there to increase acres anymore. So um, you know the market's trying to do a, do its job in here and supply and demand is at work. 
Well, I, I wonder, Garrett, I know we have uh, setting a crop insurance in front of us. We got the USDA outlook forum later this week. And the, yep. the rumors are that USDA is probably going to give us a, a record corn crop uh, estimate in their outlook forum uh, over what we saw this past year. And I just feel like things like that are going to add to uh, at least on the outlook forum number, if we do get that number, I should say, going to add to some of the bearishness here in the markets. I just wonder if there's some downside targets we have to watch for here in grains yet still as we go through the month of February. I mean, the, the, the numbers remain the same. The, the, what, the, the, the downside numbers remain the same. Four and a quarter uh, here in, in, in front-end corn, beans, uh, 11.74. I think the important thing, though, is watching price action, what the market's telling you. Um, you know, last week we had several attempts to push, you know, front-end beans under the, the 11.80 levels. We came within, I think, four or five cents of that. 1174 support uh, from from I think 2020, but uh, you know the, we 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 found bu we found buying under those levels. Now that being said, here we are today back at that 1193 1194, which is the old support level, which is no resistance, and it was noticeable last week when we you know even on crop report day when we rallied, we tried to get back to 12 bucks and we just we can't push above twelve dollars. So, uh, you know, maybe the markets are stuck here a little bit, where you know we we don't. The funds are kind of maybe out of ammo as far as pushing the downside. But you know, I if you look at basis levels out here, they're a little bit softer in the U.S. I do think the farmer is moving some green at these levels, and, and that might be what is capping uh, these rallies in here. Well, I'm watching too here as we go through the next couple of weeks ahead. I think it's going to be very interesting just in these markets overall. And I wonder too, with this week with China and South America, largely on holiday out of the markets, I think, does that take some volume here out of these markets? Is that part of some of the quietness here, Garrett? And then part two to that, does some of this quietness give farmers an opportunity to kind of work their marketing plan and, and maybe get some different you know, downside risks, some floors locked in, et cetera, et cetera, use the tools in their toolbox in a lower volume, quieter environment. Is that the case right now? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, China's on holiday all this week. They're, they're still around. Um, you know, maybe if there's a limitation as far as maybe spec involvement in the markets, you know, that's limited. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the markets are quieted down. You know, which is the case of big supply markets, volatility in the markets are uh, dwindling. So, you know, ownership of options, uh, whether put or call, um, whatever you want to do as far as your marketing plan. If you want to sell the cash grain and reown via a call, that call is going to be relatively cheap. Uh, or if you want to put a floor under under this market just to, you know, maintain ownership, um, you know, of the physical quantities uh, that, uh, you know, those puts are going to be relatively cheap. So, yeah, the, 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 the doldrums here uh, are beneficial for option ownership. Um, back to your question about the USDA Ag Outlook uh, Forum, though, but you're exactly, absolutely right um, as far as seeing big numbers. We've kind of had a, those tipped off, though, with the, the, the baseline projections last fall. Um, the USDA had 91 million acres of corn. I think the big thing is, and it's probably going to be the most talked about, even though it, it's just a, a paper number, is that the you know, trend line yield is 181 in the baseline numbers. And if they, most likely, Ag Outlook Forum will print 
know, a, a, a 180 type corn yield. Um, and that's gonna, I think that's going to be the talk coming out of this, this conference this weekend or this, the end of the week. And, and in beans, they were 87 uh, million acres and trend yield was 52. So, you know, just a function of those trend line yields keep getting better. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a, a main talking point. Garrett, we didn't get to livestock really. I got 30 seconds for you. Any big notes uh, in cattle or hogs this week? Cattle market feels tired in here, especially as strong as cash was last week. Um, you know, we're down seventy to a dollar in fats, and feeders are eighty to a dollar fifteen lower. Um, it just kind of feels tired. We've had a big move. Uh, we can have a correction and still be within the the upward trend, but market just feels tired right now, in my opinion. All right, Garrett Toy, Ag Trader Talk. Always good to talk with you, Garrett. Thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America today. We'll talk to you again real soon. Appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks, sir. All right, Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk joining us here for Markets on AOA. Coming up next, we are going to take a look at the latest ag economy barometer. Dr. Jim Mintert with the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture joins us next here on AOA. On February's episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the relationship between the corn and poultry and egg industries with John Del Monte from NCGA, along with Mary Alice Kane and Jenna Gress from the USA Poultry Egg Export Council, known as USAPEAK. We are a trade association. We represent the U.S. poultry and egg industry who exports, and we represent all sectors. Anyone who's touched by exports and is involved in the industry can be a member of USAPEAK. From corn's perspective, uh, obviously the poultry industry is a, you know, is a big customer. So as Mary Alice and Jenna both spoke to, you know, exports are obviously an area that they specialize in. Exports account for 28 cents a bushel to the value of corn. So corn has a very vested interest in what poultry exports are doing. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country. 
And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now as we take a look at the latest ag economy barometer put together by Purdue University and uh, looking at the January numbers, saw farmer sentiment pull back a little bit. Joining us to run through the details, he is the director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture and Ag Econ professor at Purdue University. Dr. Jim Mintert is with us. Jim, it's great to catch up with you again. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Yeah, good to catch up with you as well, Jess. Well, taking a look at these numbers, as I mentioned, farmer sentiment. Took a bit of a downturn to start off 2024. Give us the uh, the thousand foot view to start with uh, what we're looking at for the top line numbers this month. Well, I think for a lot of your listeners, it's probably no surprise that sentiment took a dip. I think the barometer was down eight points compared to December, or excuse me, compared to January. Uh, it was 24 points lower than a year ago. Uh, current condition index was down nine points compared to January and. Uh, I think down 23 points uh, compared to a year ago. Future expectations was down seven points as well. So, you know, people across the board were less optimistic about what was taking place in, in their farm operation um, in January than they were in December. And and so, you know, no surprise if you look at what's taking place with respect to commodity prices. I think weak corn and soybean prices in particular explain a lot of it. Um, still a difficult environment for hog producers. So, you know, when you look at it that way, it's been a challenging environment. And uh, people are really starting to worry about, you know, what does this mean for 2024 and maybe even 2025? And, and um, you know, I think perhaps with good reason, that with farm incomes look like they're gonna be lower. Uh, people are expecting a weaker farm financial performance. They told us that as well. So, um, you know, just a lot of things kind of coming together and making people a little less optimistic about not only the current situation, but about where things are headed over the next year or so. Yeah. And uh, looking through the uh, ag economy barometer this month, you, you mentioned some of those things like uh, lower commodity prices, higher input costs as well. Those look to be pretty even on the minds of respondents here this month and then rising interest rates right behind that. And that's, you know, largely what we've been seeing throughout the last year. But yeah, to your point, a lot of what I'm hearing traveling around the countryside, and I'm sure you're hearing the same, it's just a lot of that concern about where things sit right now in terms of you know commodity prices and what we're going to put in the ground here for this year. It's, it's definitely a little sobering out there, some of the conversations I'm hearing, Jim. Yeah, you know, it shows up on the survey, and I think a good way to look at it is a question that we ask where we say, say to people, Looking ahead to the upcoming year, what are your biggest concerns for your farming operation? And a year ago, only 16% of the people in the survey chose lower crop and livestock prices, which I would characterize as maybe the more traditional thing to be worried about in agriculture. Historically, we always worry about output prices for our crops and our livestock. Um, a year ago, 42% of the people said higher input costs was their top concern. 
at the end of the year and now spilling over into January, uh, that's really changed. 28% of the people in this month's survey said that lower crop and livestock prices was one of their top concerns. And that was the same percentage of people who chose higher input cost. So if you think about it, I think some of the anxiety and some of the weakness and sentiment that we're picking up is really probably explained by this question. We've now got people worried about what I'd call a, a very traditional concern in agriculture, which is what are prices going to be for the crop we produce and for the livestock we produce. And balanced by the same percentage of people that are worried about higher input cost, which traditionally we don't worry about that much on a year to year basis because input costs usually track inflation pretty well. Um, but we've been in an unusual environment here for these last several years. And so we've got people really worried about a traditional concern combined with a somewhat untraditional concern. Um, and then you augment that, as you mentioned, but with some concerns about interest rates. And all of a sudden, you've got people really worried about a cost price squeeze because you know, when I visit with folks uh, around the country, the, one of the things they bring up is the fact that they're looking at such high break-evens, particularly on the crop side, um, but also on the cattle feeding side and even on the hog side, high break-evens uh, that they're kind of locked into and then they're faced simultaneously with this risk of lower prices for, for the crops and livestock they produce. And that's created a lot of anxiety. Uh, and I think that really explains a lot of the weakness that we're seeing in the sentiment. It's, it's a little more than just prices for corn, soybeans, and wheat, and uh, for hogs and, and beef cattle on the, on the livestock side. It's, it's a little more than that. It's that combination of being squeezed by these high input costs and high break-evens at the same time that we're running the risk of, of weaker prices. Yeah, tying in with that as well, you guys asked a question on this month's survey. Compared to last year, do you expect the size of your farm's operating loan to be larger, smaller, or about the same this year? Talk about that a little bit. It looked like about the same uh, was what most people were, were saying here for 2024. Yeah, so a little bit of a change compared to a year ago. And, and the follow-up question is, if you said you were going to expect it to have a larger operating loan, um, which was, at, let's see, I think about 15% of the respondents in the survey said they expected to have a larger operating loan. We asked why that was the case. Um, and, you know, the, the typical one was increase in operation size. I think that was about 61%. Um, actually, I'm reading that wrong. In, increase in input cost was the number one choice there. The second one was increase in operation size. Um, so if you look at it, it's kind of interesting. Last year, 80% of the people said it was because of increase in input cost. So this year we're seeing a little less on the cost side, which is consistent with what we've seen with respect to reduction in fertilizer prices and to some extent diesel prices. Um, and a little bit more back towards people uh, maybe seeing some consolidation. And so um, a relatively small percentage of people said unpaid operating debt being carried over. I think this year in total, that works out to um, about two to maybe 3% of the people in the survey said they're carrying over some unpaid operating debt. That's lower than what we've seen in some prior years when, when there was some financial stress because we kind of use this question to gauge whether or not there's a significant amount of financial stress. And our data would suggest that so far, even though people are starting to get worried about this cost price squeeze, um, 
we haven't really moved into a, a financial stress zone yet. Um, just to kind of get a little contrast there, I think this month, 17% of those who said that they are going to carry over or have a larger operating loan was because of carrying over unpaid operating debt. You go back to 2020, when we did have some stress going on in the ag sector, 35% of the people who said they were carrying or had a larger operating loan um, was because of their carrying over unpaid operating debt. So I don't, the good news is I think we're entering 2024 in a strong financial position. People have strong balance sheets coming off two very good income years. But going forward, they're starting to worry about what's taking place with their cost of production and the possibility of weaker prices for the crops and livestock that they sell, creating that cost price squeeze. But again, the positive news is we're starting off in a pretty good shape. Uh, you know, when I visit with people and look at some of the other data, um, those working capital levels are pretty strong. So the challenge for folks in 2024 is to maybe pull back a little bit and, and think about what they can do to manage through what appear to be prospects for a, a challenging 2024, and I think probably a challenging 2025 as well. Jim, uh, real quick, great stuff as always. I I'd love your uh, economist perspective as well to kind of tie in with all this. Uh, I know USDA just released their uh, farm income forecasts, and, and what was their forecast down? Like 25% for this year. I think that maybe goes along with some of what you're hearing in the ag economy barometer potentially. You're thoughts on that maybe real quick. Yeah, I, I think uh, USDA's percentage change is probably spot on in terms of at least based on what we know today. And, um, you know, as, as you look ahead, it's, it's, it, we're, we're seeing kind of a return to normality in some respects. The, but, but the problem we've got is that we still have these high input costs or relatively high break-even levels. Um, and I, I think our challenge over these next couple of years is we're looking at some weaker commodity prices we're going to have to ratchet down these production costs to get them in line with what we're receiving on the output side. And you know, from a producer perspective, that's a worrying prospect because, um, you know, we, we've seen some significant declines in fertilizer prices over the last 12 to 15 or so months. Um, we've seen some weaker prices in terms of things like fuel, but the other ends have not gone down. And that's going to be the challenge going forward is how do we kind of rationalize these higher production costs? And I think it's uh, it's going to be a bit of a battle for uh, the rest of 24 and, and probably spilling over into 25. Well, folks can look at the latest data from the Ag Economy Barometer online, ag.purdue.edu forward slash commercial ag. And we've been talking with Dr. Jim Mintert from the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. Jim, always great to talk with you on AOA. Thanks for joining us this month. We'll talk to you again next month. All right. Thanks, Jess. Once again, always great to talk with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University. All right, coming up next on AOA, we're going to go over year-end meat export numbers and more. We'll talk with Dan Hallstrom from the U.S. Meat Export Federation on the way right after this on AOA. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA. Here is a look at the market trade. Jesse Allen here as we take a look at how things are trading on this Tuesday and another quiet day being seen in the markets with corded soybeans really about a penny or two either side of unchanged hovering around our uh, prices that we've seen all week long with corn down around contract lows and March corn around that 430 level soybeans hanging around $12 here for the most part meantime the wheat markets are under a little more pressure with a slightly higher US dollar index as we see the outside markets react to the Consumer Price Index data, the headline CPI rose 0.3% month-on-month in January, matching the previous month's level, but coming in above analyst expectations, it would slip to 0.2% growth. Headline CPI rose 3.1% year-on-year. That was above analyst expectations of 3%, but down from the previous month at 3.4%. At core CPI, that excludes the more volatile food and energy prices, rose 0.4% month-on-month in January as well. Crude oil prices, they remain modestly higher on Middle East geopolitical risks, although pulled back a little bit after the CPI data. Stocks, though, under some pressure with the Dow Jones down just over 400 points, the NASDAQ down about 300 points, and S&P futures down 60 to 65 points here throughout our morning trade on Tuesday. Over the livestock side, hogs are trying to find a little bit of strength, but largely have been trading in a pretty narrow, about dollar range here as we've gone through the week, while live at feeder cattle are showing some triple-digit losses. Feeders especially looking like we're taking some profit there uh, in the trade after a pretty strong day on Monday to start the week. Packers are really hoping, it seems, that they don't have to pay up for cattle like they did last week. They could be slow in chain speeds here this week, and that also could have an impact on box beef prices. Overall, though, markets are relatively quiet here on Tuesday. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. You can't escape a traffic jam. Know what else you can't escape? Seasonal allergies. (laughs) And you might think you can avoid that coffee stain until... Really? You can't escape a lot of things in life, but you can escape prediabetes. Prediabetes captures one in three adults. There are usually no signs of prediabetes. In fact, most people don't even know they have it. But with early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Take action by taking the one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. You might not be able to escape having this song stuck in your head. But you can escape prediabetes. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
Welcome back to AOA. Well, we set some records for U.S. pork exports here in 2023. Some really strong numbers to finish out the year on the beef export side as well. We're going to talk about all that and more new data out from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joining us to run through the latest numbers, U.S. MBF President and CEO Dan Hallstrom joins us on AOA. Dan, it's great to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well. Yes, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate the invite. Well, let's go through these numbers. Let's start on the pork side. I think some really big highlights, some big wins there led by uh, just a huge performance in Mexico. Talk about some of these uh, headline numbers for pork exports from the U.S. for 2023. Let's start there. Yeah, on the pork side, uh, you know, the whole year in 2023 was really a pretty good story, but we finished the year with a bang in December up 10%. And uh, really, it was the same themes that we saw through most of the year, which, as you said, was led by Mexico, a record year. It was a record in October. So it's even that much more of a record here as we get in the December numbers in the mix. But Latin America in general, Central America and South America had pretty good uh, showings for the year. Uh, the one that thing that stood out in December for pork was that Korea had a huge month and Japan had a pretty good month. So it was kind of nice to see uh, to see the, um, you know, the the uh, the sign of life, uh, so to speak. Uh, really come to the forefront for Asia finally in December. So, uh, so, and the other thing I'd like to point out is that uh, the month of December, we were almost $71 ahead on the revenue and, and that set a new record for the year at, at just under $64 ahead. So really a good broad-based story from a lot of different countries uh, on the pork side. Well, I think that those pork numbers, Dan, I mean, just speak to the outreach and the continued growth of those export markets that you highlighted and how, you know, a lot of consumers and food service, et cetera, in those countries, I mean, they're they're just finding great value with various cuts of, of U.S. pork, right? I think you're exactly right. And you hit the word value. I think pork is globally is well positioned um, and we're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing uh, U.S. pork rise to the forefront in some of the smaller countries as well. Um, you look at uh, Australia, New Zealand, you look at Taiwan. Uh, there was huge shifts last year from the previous few, um, especially uh, we took share away from the European Union, for example, in a big way in those two regions. Uh, Philippines is another area. So, yeah, it's exciting because uh, the versatility, um, the different cuts, uh, it's not only primal cuts, but variety meats uh, on the pork side uh, really uh, spelled a success story. And, and I think some momentum going into 2024. How about on the beef side? I know beef was having a, a little bit of a, a down year compared to 2022, but sounds like we finished 2023 uh, pretty strong on the beef export side. Talk about that a little bit. Exactly right. Yeah, we um, while we were still down in December slightly, um, we were up big on the value side in December for beef and uh, almost $860 million exported on beef. Uh, which uh, was up 10% year on year. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, some of the same trend lines for the year, Mexico was the leader on beef as well, as was Central America, uh, two themes that were common between the two species. But uh, similar to uh, the pork side, we saw some life out of Asia in December. 
Uh, in particular, uh, we had a very big month uh, on the value on exports for Korea, and uh, China had a very good month as well. So uh, I think that uh, you know th this is indicative of the fact that we've been saying for a long time uh, through most of 2023 how how the food service sector in Asia really underperformed. And I think uh, this sign in December is hopefully a sign that we're starting to see some of the rebound in food service because retail continues to be uh, fairly solid, but the, the food service had been a problem. And hopefully this builds some momentum on food service on beef into 2024. I know on the beef side, we had some challenges on the supply side here in the US. We still have some of those challenges to begin the year. How big of a concern or an impact did the, that have on the market in 2023, do you think, Dan? Well, yeah, it had some impact, but but we're tracking this closely. I, I would say the impact was more on a commodity frozen side. And, uh, um, you know, you look at uh, short plates to Asia, for example, which uh, it's an important market, but it's it's driven a lot by, by volume, right? And... Uh, then I look at the chilled program business into Asia, which is really our high-margin high business, uh, and it's chilled. It, it's usually you know a program business of some sort, be it CAB, Prime, et cetera. And that business, we actually, in, in several of the Asian markets, Korea, China, and Taiwan in particular, we have not lost share. We've actually gained a little bit of share in the chilled program business, the premium business. So I think this is a really good sign. Uh, we've lost share in frozen, uh, which tends to be more of a commodity-driven, price-driven type and supply type of issue. But uh, we're focused on the value, and the value is chilled, and, and happy to say that uh, we've defended that sh share quite well through 2023, and, and it'll be a focus going into 2024. All right. Let's touch on lamb exports as well. Uh, looked like exports maybe declined a little bit in 2023. Give us the rundown on the uh, lamb side here for us, Dan. Yeah, lamb's down a bit, uh, but still, we have a couple of regions that continue to be our bread and butter. Um, you know, Mexico, the Caribbean region, um, you know, Canada, and even Central America is starting to get more of a presence. So, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, places like Guatemala, Costa Rica, et cetera, which uh, that Central America theme is pretty consistent for all three species. So that continues to be a focus as well. Uh, as we get into 2024 on the lamb side. Well, we are talking with Dan Hallstrom from the U.S. Meat Export Federation here today on AOA. Dan, again, uh, great numbers for 2023 U.S. exports. I, I want to get your thoughts as we're in the early part of 2024 now. What are some of the things that you guys are seeing as you track the data? I, I think, too, you know, inflation here in the U.S. is still a little bit of an <clears throat> issue. Wonder if that could have some impact we just saw on Tuesday, you know, the headline consumer price index was up slightly in January above analyst expectations. So we know that that's still out there could have some impacts on the value of the U.S. dollar, et cetera. So I wonder if inflation and, and dollar and things like that is a concern as we begin the early part of the year, Dan? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you hit on two headwinds from a year ago, um, you know, the strong U.S. dollar, especially in Japan and and a little bit in other parts of Asia. Um, also the, the, you know, the global inflation issue, which <clears throat> it really varies by market because some of the markets in Asia have not seen much of an impact or not as much of an impact 
whereas others have. But but I think in general, um, these are these are obviously headwinds, but we have a tailwinds that I think um, outweigh some of that, and and that's the uh, the versatility, that's the the quality aspect of U.S. beef and pork. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I said earlier, I said pork's well positioned. I think beef, in a way, is well positioned as well. And uh, I think that we continue to work on diversifying these carcasses, using the underutilized cuts more. Uh, we're seeing that. We're, we're seeing more demand for rounds than we ever have, for example. Um, and we see more demand for variety meats than we have in a long time. So I think this is one of the keys to success is to continue to work in that in that way. And uh, we're focused on the value. So, you know, as I said earlier, the value per head was a record last year. But but in December on pork, we hit almost seventy one dollars a head. And I didn't mention this earlier on beef, but in December, we hit about $432 a head on beef. So this tells me that people are still paying for the value. They're paying for our quality. And I, I'm much more focused on that than I am on the uh, the volume and, and the frozen commodity business that we talked about earlier. Uh, no, great thoughts. I uh, really love how you framed that up there. And a lot of a lot of good things in front of uh, the meat export side here out of the U.S. And, and you know, you mentioned some of the big markets we saw in 2023. Have to think, uh, Dan, that those markets and maybe some others are going to be a focus here for the year ahead for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, talk about just some of the work that USMEF's already doing here in the early part of the year, if you can. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're going to continue to try to defend the, the mainstay, the larger markets, you know, the Japans, the Koreas, the Mexicos, uh, the Chinas. <clears throat> but our focus going forward, too, is to try to disproportionately develop some of these emerging regions. Central America, which I would almost argue is not even emerging anymore. It's emerged already. But you've also got, you know, Colombia, Chile, Peru. You've got Indonesia, Malaysia on the pork side. And of course, uh, we've talked in the past a lot about the African region. So I think, uh, you know, these are areas of the world that uh, we continue to, to put more resources into uh, in the developmental phase. And, and I don't think we're very far away from seeing some real significant payback in places like Indonesia, Malaysia and Africa. So, yeah, I think it takes the more markets, the better. Definitely, definitely. Well, I know folks, uh, if they want to stay up to date on the work you guys are doing at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, they could uh, hop online, usmef.org, for more information. Can't they, Dan? They sure can, yep. usmef.org for more information. And with that, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, always great to have a conversation with you, sir. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Have a great week, and we will talk to you again real soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Dan Hallstrom there with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Again, usmef.org for more information. All right, coming up next here on AOA, before we wrap up our program today, we're going to talk more about the recent court ruling on Dicamba that could have an impact on the 2024 growing season. We're going to get perspective from the cotton industry. Dr. Chad Brewer with the National Cotton Council joins us next on AOA, Agriculture of America. My name is Ariel. When I arrived in the U.S. at 19, I struggled to find job opportunities without my high school diploma. 
My entire life changed when I took a chance and got my high school diploma at age 22. Everything I have, my education, my career, my marriage, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and my teachers. They were with me every step of the way, helping with my English and math, making sure I push through all the challenges. Ariel, your success proves that what I'm doing as a teacher has real meaning. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. Education was the key that unlocked all my opportunities. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen, but you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind to know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, Zach Sturm, a fertilizer trading expert with CHS, provides 2024 fertilizer planning strategies. Zach, when is a good time for farmers to secure their fertilizer needs for this year? Now would really be a good time to get with your local account manager and work on a plan to secure that supply that fits your specific needs. If you look at price activity, in most times in the spring, basis will increase 20 to $40 in the spring and have that kind of premium versus what NOLA is. So you may see NOLA prices go down or other prices go down, but your local market may stay the same or increase. And that's just due to in-season demand. Well, what crop nutrients will likely be in demand this spring and why? We see a strong demand across the board this spring for NP and K. We're still looking for a favorable corn crop this year and also a favorable wheat and bean crop along with that. Well, what shipping and logistical challenges exist that could impact fertilizer supplies? Yeah, this is really on the forefront of our minds, especially with all the geopolitical happenings that we've seen over the last six months to a year. Vessels are avoiding going through the Suez Canal and are going around the Cape of Good Hope. This really matters for the U.S. farmer because that's a major shipping lane, especially for urea, as most of that product comes out of the Arab Gulf going to the U.S. And the Suez Canal is utilized really as a shortcut to get to the U.S., uh, not being able to go and go through that due to the war in the Middle East and too much risk from the vessel owners 
and having to go around the Cape of Good Hope is adding 15 to 20 days of transit time. So certainly that impacts the timing of when the supply uh, show can get to your backyard. And also there's some added cost to that extra transit time with fuel cost. And the second point is just continued low water on the Mississippi River and other river segments like the Arkansas River. Thank you for joining us on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here. And we continue to follow the latest on the Dicamba ruling, a court in Arizona here last week uh, ruling that over-the-top use of dicamba was not going to be allowed for the 2024 growing season, which we're almost on the cusp of this on the doorstep. And it's uh, definitely having a uh, immense impact here. A lot of folks throughout agriculture not happy with this news. We're going to get perspective now from the cotton industry. Joining us, Dr. Chad Brewer, VP of Technical Services with the National Cotton Council. And Chad, thanks so much for joining us here today on AOA. Appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. Happy to happy to join you um, and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Well, it's a very important conversation, as I kind of alluded to, and, and maybe you can uh, recap things a little bit better, but uh, this court ruling on dicamba it's uh, very important because it immediately impacts the 2024 growing season, which in, in many cases is either we're right on the doorstep or we've already started in some spots when it comes to cotton, haven't we? Yes, you're, you're exactly right. So um, this decision is going to really impact, I don't know, roughly between 70 and 80 percent of the cotton acres that are planted um, annually here in the United States. And really the timing of the decision um, could, could not be worse. Um, we've got uh, planting has already begun in South Texas. And um, of course, it's just going to continue uh, to work its way north through the cotton belt. So um, as you look at the timing, also, the most of the farmers have already uh, made their seed purchase and herbicide purchase decisions. Uh, some as planting it begins um, in the south and then it'll work its way north. Farmers have already begun to take uh, shipments of seed and herbicide. So it's really going to disrupt um, disrupt all those plans. And, you know, I think as we need to talk about alternative options for uh, for these producers, there's really at this time of year be difficult to purchase uh, alternative uh, alternative weed control systems. Uh, the supply chains and uh, production uh, production cycles being what they are, I doubt very seriously we can get enough alternatives in the hands of these producers for the 2024 season. So they are really in a bind um, if this uh, continues the way it is today. 
Well, and I was going to ask if cotton growers can't use dicamba, I mean, what does that mean for this crop? What are those remaining tools that are in the toolbox? But to your point, the way it sounds that even if we want to look at some of those uh, alternative tools, logistically, it, it sounds like it's going to be a nightmare at this point to try and get those into the hands of growers, isn't it? Well, you're exactly right. So um, there are alternative uh, herbicide technologies that that are could be available on the market if you know um, the decision had been made perhaps at some other point in time. Um, but as it sits today, um, you know these farmers are going to be left with the two other herbicides in that uh, dicamba tolerant system: you know glyphosate and glufosinate. And we could we could talk about the the efficacy of those particular herbicides, um, but really what is concerning is that we'll be really leaning on glufosinate for almost all of our post-emergent uh, Palmer amaranth control um, because many, many of the populations across the U.S. are already resistant to glyphosate. So it's, uh, given the limited uh, alternatives um, in, in the quote toolbox for this year, uh, something we're looking at could be reduced uh, reduced output um, for, for most of the farmers in the United States. And, and that's unfortunate because we're already at an economic uh, situation with cotton production where the cost of production is uh, at or above um, the, uh, the cost of production is at or above the, uh, the gross income from the, the, the from the cotton sales. So it's uh, they're already in a tough economic spot, and this is just going to make it all that much more difficult. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's something that we need to see, hopefully, see if we can get something done. And I know a lot of groups, such as the National Cotton Council, have uh, reached out and expressed their disappointment and hoping we can maybe see a stay in the courts. I guess, from your perspective, what are the next steps in front of us with this ruling? Is there anything that farmers can do to have their voice heard on this matter, or is everything in the hands of the EPA at this point? Well, I think... Um what we're waiting on now is we, we're waiting on a, some type of response uh, to this ruling from the EPA. Um, the ball is certainly in their courts. Um, one of the things that we that we are hoping for, some of the things that is in their prerogative to issue is an existing stocks order, which would allow uh, uh, producers, farmers to use um, any material that any of these three herbicides that had already been manufactured. Um, and the EPA could could issue a an existing stocks order that includes the distribution supply chain um, as well as what's in in farmers' uh, hands today. So, but that's current. That's solely their prerogative, and um, that's uh, would be up to EPA to issue that. All right. You know, what could farmers do today? Um, you know, they can certainly reach out uh, to the EPA through their um, trade associations, like the National Cotton Council and others. Um, and then also they could, you know, write or call their congressman to to really fill them in on uh, the impacts that this decision could have. So um, I would I would encourage farmers to to get involved in in those two regards. Chad, final thoughts from you before we run out of time here on the show today. Uh, just anything you want growers to remember as we continue to watch this situation unfold, or anything you would reiterate to folks here today. Again, they they should be they should get involved um, from those two ways, trade associations and then direct calls or uh, notes to their to their congressmen. Um, and also, you know, we want them to 
to recognize that the National Cotton Council, you know, has their best interests in mind, and um, we're going to continue to represent um, their interests as best we can. Well, we appreciate a few minutes of your time, and we'll continue to watch this situation closely. With that, Dr. Chad Brewer, VP of Technical Services with the National Cotton Council. Chad, thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America today. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Happy to do it anytime. And definitely an issue we're going to keep following here when it comes to dicamba use in the courts and more. Thanks to Dr. Chad Brewer for joining us. We're out of time on AOA. Coming up tomorrow, a few recent conversations I had. One with Peter Zion, geopolitical strategist and speaker, and also talking markets with Dave Hightower from the Hightower Report. That and more coming up tomorrow on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. On February's episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discussed the relationship between the corn and poultry and egg industries with John Del Monte from NCGA, along with Mary Alice Kane and Jenna Gress from the USA Poultry Egg Export Council, known as USAPEAK. We are a trade association. We represent the U.S. poultry and egg industry who exports, and we represent all sectors. Anyone who's touched by exports and is involved in the industry can be a member of USAPEAK. From corn's perspective, uh, obviously the poultry industry is a you know, as a big customer. So as Mary Alice and Jenna both spoke to, you know, exports are obviously an area that they specialize in. Exports account for 28 cents a bushel to the value of corn. So corn has a very vested interest in what poultry exports are doing. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. A promise is potent. Born of intention, fueled by commitment, it's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today.